I need to give you an update. Here's the update. If you were here last week, um, you'll, you'll understand this. If not, I'm going to catch you up. So last, last Sunday, I shared that my kids got brand new fishing poles. I also shared that I do not like to fish, but because they got brand new fishing poles, they obviously wanted to fish. And so I, I, trust me, it was an act of sacrifice. We just sang a song about surrendering. This last week was a week of surrender and sacrifice for me. Because do you know what my kids wanted to do? Not just last Sunday, last Saturday, but since then, they've been wanting to fish. So I kid you not, in the last eight days, we have been fishing seven out of those eight days. I would get home from work and the first thing they want to do is, hey, can we go fishing? And, and later on in the afternoon, can we go fishing? There was one day we went fishing twice in one day. So they have been super excited to go fishing and they have actually done a pretty good job. They have caught quite a bit of fish, but something happened on one of those days. They all blurred together. I don't know which day it was at this point, but something happened on one of those days where we went fishing. Three kids, Connor, Cole, and Collins. That's how I remember them, and that's how you know the ages. Just so you know, oldest, middle, youngest, that's how we do it. So Connor and Collins, they were catching quite a bit of fish, and they were throwing them in, and like, I think at one point Connor threw something in and immediately caught a fish. Like My job was all day just taking hooks out of fish's mouths. But my middle son, Cole, wasn't catching anything. And if, first of all, there's a middle child syndrome that some of you are familiar with, so already he's got like a strike against him, it felt like. But now to be the only kid that's not catching a fish, now he's getting really frustrated. He's like, man, this isn't right. What's wrong? Well, every time one of them reeled one in, I haven't caught a fish yet. So it's starting to become a thing. I'm like, well, let me help you. I'm trying to help him. He's not catching anything. So he resorted to going to Collins, our youngest, and says, well, let me use your fishing pole. Keep in mind, her fishing pole is a Frozen 2-themed fishing pole. And I'm like, Cole, you're not going to want to fish with her fishing pole. He says, yes, I do. I said, it's a girl's fishing pole. It's a frozen fishing pole. He said, but she's catching everything. I said, valid point. But then Collins gets real protective. No, it's mine. So then we have that whole other issue that we dealt with for a second. But something happened that Cole realized, and he walked into a situation, was dealing with this situation that all of us deal with. Because when you looked at Connor and Collins, they had a fishing pole, they had the hook, they had the bait. So what should that equal? Catching fish. Cole had a fishing pole, had a hook, had bait. Why am I not catching fish? I'm doing the exact same things. We're in the exact same place at the exact same time. Like it, it felt like everything added up. And for two out of the three, it added up to catching fish. But for one, it added up and it equaled not catching fish. Doesn't seem fair, does it? I think there's a lesson in there in regards to our faith. This series, we've been talking about owning our faith. Something happens that we will all deal with on some level at some point as we own our own faith. We take responsibility for our own faith. We say, it's, it's my faith that I'm growing in and I'm taking next steps to grow in my faith. Something happens. You begin to look at other people that have a faith. You start to say, well, why does their faith equal that and my faith doesn't? All of a sudden, you start to see all the things that uh, add up to your faith and it doesn't equal what you thought it would. So what happens when we have a faith, when we're owning our faith, yet it doesn't equal the expectations we have of our own faith? 
It's a tension we will all wrestle with at some point. We'll say things like, well, I thought if I owned my faith, I thought if I followed God, I thought if I, and we fill in the blank with all these things that seem like it adds up to our faith or equals our faith, but then the result isn't what we thought it would be. So that's what we're going to talk through this morning. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews the rest of our time. So if you have a Bible, if not, we'll put it on the screen here behind me. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 and the first part of Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read this first part, the first two verses, and then let me explain what's about to happen. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1, we're told this. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, We'll talk about the there in a second. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So what that means is, first of all, it helps describe and define our faith a little bit. It's the things that we hope for, the things that we hold on to, the promises of God, but we can't see it. We're having faith in him for it to be true. But then there's all these people of old, the the Old Testament, if you will, all these Bible story characters you might have grown up hearing about and learning about and hearing the stories of. And they had such incredible faiths that they earned this great reputation. We're still talking about them today. And if you were to go through, this chapter's kind of been dubbed the the Hall of Faith. And if you read through, the author begins to just tell story after story about this hero of the faith. Everybody from Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, like Rahab, all these heroes of faith that even in difficult times, they held on to their faith and great things came out of it. And you look at the story of Moses, he saw God part the Red Sea and, and all the plagues, like all these incredible amazing things happened because of their faith. We'll pick it up in verse 32. The author goes on and says, there's even more than these. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people, look, overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. That whole section, the author is just saying, and this person, and this person, and their faith here, and look what God did, and look what their faith equaled, and this incredible life of these heroes of faith. So we think of our own faith, like, man, I'd love to be able to have a life like that. And I want to have faith like Moses or like Gideon. I want to see God do incredible things in in my life and in my family's life and in the people around me. And if, if that's what faith does for me, man, I'm all in. If my faith, if owning my faith leads to this kind of life listed in Hebrews 11, man, count me in. It's going to be incredible to see God do and move in such mighty ways because of my faith in him. We want our faith to equal these kinds of stories and this kind of life. But we haven't finished reading through this passage yet. So we ended in verse 35, the first part of verse 35. The second part of verse 35, the very next sentence, the author makes an abrupt change of tone. I mean, it's one of those like shifting without a clutch. Like what just happened here? 
So he began in verse 35, women received their loved ones back again from death. All this is exciting. That sounds great. Then the very next sentence, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Big change, isn't it? To go from these incredible stories of faith, a Noah and an Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Samson, where we look at their faith and we're like, oh, I'd love to have not just that faith, but I'd love to see God do those kinds of works and miracles in my life. And then we read the second part, still all together. And they still had amazing and incredible faith. Even what we read at the very beginning of verse 11, through their faith, the peoples and days of old earned a good reputation. This second part is still included in that, but here's a couple of things to pay attention to. We don't have any names for them. The author lists the names of, like we've been saying, Noah and Moses and Abraham and all these other great heroes of faith, but he also highlights the anonymous heroes of faith. Because not every, everybody's faith equaled that life of a Moses or an Abraham or an Isaac or a Jacob. Same faith, a faith in God, an unwavering faith, a strong faith, a bold faith. They owned their faith. Yet it's interesting how their lives ended very differently. It doesn't feel like it adds up, does it? It doesn't feel like that's fair. It doesn't feel like it adds up because, again, we want things to add up for everybody all the time, no matter what. In fact, we go through life expecting things to add up. We feel like oftentimes, or at least we treat it this way, that life is pretty much just a big math equation. Let's go back to elementary school for a second. Let's go through some math facts. And we're doing math facts with my oldest right now. So that's what's been in my head for months. So let's go through them together. Two plus two equals? Wow. Let's start over. One plus one equals? There we go. Let's try this other one again. Two plus two equals? Three plus three equals? Four plus four equals? You guys have done a great job. Minus that first part and we'll... Come back to that, maybe. So those will always be true. As long as you have a two and a two, like they're always going to equal four. That is always the result. It's always the answer. It's always the end. And so you can expect that to always be the case. But the problem is life isn't a math equation all the time. When you go fishing with your three kids, two might catch a bunch of fish and one might not catch anything. The equation is the same, but the results are very different. Our faith is not a math equation. Oftentimes, we want it to be. Well, if I take attending church, plus volunteering, plus tithing, plus being good, ah, this is the life that I will be given. It's not how it works. Faith is not a math equation to be solved. It's not a math problem. It is a life to be lived. And that's what the author of Hebrews 11 is, or author of Hebrews, and specifically here in chapter 11, is trying to help us understand. Faith is about us taking those next steps, always following him. 
And the result is also up to him. And your life might look very different from my life, different from the person that's sitting next to you in their life. But our faiths could be very similar in our devotion, our loyalty, and our desire to have a deeper faith in him. So how do we wrestle with this? How do we move out of the equation type faith where we just want things to add up to equal a perfect life with rainbows and sunshine? No, we have to take a step over with a different perspective and say, no, my faith, when I own my faith, it's a life I live every single day. And if you've been part of this series over the last three weeks, that's what we've been moving towards. It's not just what we do, it's who we are, that it applies every single day. It even changes our purpose. We talked about that last week. But the tension we have to come to grips with is even when you own your own faith, guess what? Your life might not be what you expect it to be. Because that's what we see here. It doesn't always go the way you might hope or expect it to go. But our faith must not just stay, stay firm, but we continue to grow in our faith as well. So the, the author of Hebrews goes through that chapter 11 of all these heroes of faith and look at how great God moved in their life and then turn that corner of, here's also the heroes of faith. And their lives look very different as well on how their lives ended. So then chapter 12 begins, so what do we do with that? What are we supposed to do as we live this life of faith? Because it's not just Here's my faith and I do these things. No, I'm living a life of faith. Here it is. Chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, great little Bible study technique and tip is if you see the word therefore, you always need to know, well, what's happened? Something happened prior that now is applying here. So you don't take anything out of context. So that's why we went and looked at chapter 11. Now verse 1 out of chapter 12 will make a little bit more sense. So we make sure we read it in context. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, that's everybody in chapter 11, those with names and those without names, the anonymous as well. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now we're going to pull that apart and help us understand how to live this life of faith. Notice that phrase, the life of faith. But he mentions a couple other things that are pretty cool that you don't want to miss. The first one is this, this very beginning part, that we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. All these people that lived their, their lives focused on faith and focused on God. Like we're surrounded by them. And scripture calls them witnesses. This is a big deal. Because understand the scene that the author is setting up. So here, here we are trying to own our faith and take steps and grow deeper in our faith, following the road that God has placed before us. And it is a difficult road, just like we read in chapter 11. There's times where we see God do amazing things like parting the Red Sea. There's other times where we are feeling oppressed and oppressed and mistreated, like the end of chapter 11. So he's reminding us, you're not in this alone. You've got all of these witnesses. Now the word witness, what does a witness do? What do they speak about? They speak about the truth. If you have a witness on the stand in a courtroom, they are testifying to the truth. So here, these witnesses are surrounding all of us. And guess what? They are telling us the truth. They're not just cheering you on saying, you can do it, good job. They're cheering you on and they're speaking truth to you about your faith. 
So when we read, when we do series where we're reading through the Old Testament, we read stories from some of these heroes of the faith, we're listening for the truth that is being spoken to us so that we can continue on. You're not going through this life of faith alone. There's another aspect to this, uh, these two verses here that I want us to, to do something together. Let me put this up. That if you put up this next part, you're going to notice we've highlight, highlighted the, the plural aspects of this passage. And I want to read it again, but I'm going to read it. And every time you see a we or an us, that's your part. So you're going to actually say that out loud with me. At home, do this with me. So let's go together. Every time you get to a we or an us, you say the we or the us. Therefore, since are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let run with endurance the race God has set before Do this by keeping, it's not highlighted, I got you on that one. Our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects faith. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. You are not alone in this life of faith. The author is using like an illustration, an example of kind of our faith is this race that we're running. He says, we're in this together. We're in this together. You are not alone. You have a crowd of witnesses. These, these people that have lived their life of faith, they're still cheering you on and speaking truth. But the people around you, not just in this room, but the people around you, we're doing this together. In fact, I want you to do this. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, we're in this together. We're in this together. Like you mean it. We're in it together. Because here's what we're actually in together for. This is where we're going to start pulling this out. So if we're living our life of faith, if we're living a life of faith, we know we're going to go through difficult times. That's what Hebrews 11 was showing. We can own our faith and things can be good and things can also be bad. So what do we do with it? And here's where the author really helps us out. So as we live this life of faith, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's talk about that one for a second. In other words, the author is saying, cut the weight, cut the weight, anything that slows you down. He's comparing this to a race. So if you're running the race of your faith, living out your faith, why would we have more baggage than we need? Why would we hold on to anything that is slowing us down or holding us back or making it more difficult to run? And he kind of separates these weights, if you will, into two categories, he says, well, the sin that so easily entangles, that's kind of the obvious one. What will hinder you in owning your faith? Well, sin. Sin is anything that is not of God. Anything we think, say, or do that is against God, literally the word sin means to miss the mark. So if God is saying, that's where I want you to go, that's how I want you to act, that's how I want you to live, that's how I want you to think, and we do something that's off the mark, well, that is sin. And it does. It weighs us down. It slows us down. It hinders. So yes, we have to cut the weight. Now, thank God for his grace through his son, Jesus Christ, that forgave us of all of our sins. So thank God for his grace. But we're also told to, like, to do our part <laughs> 
In other words, if there's sins in our life that, yes, God's forgiven us, but guess what? There are still some very real consequences to those sins here on earth. And they're holding us down. They're weighing us down. In fact, Galatians gives us a great list of the sins that, that sneak into our lives. And then, as Hebrews says, even trips us up. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I love that last part. <laughs> like if the list wasn't long enough, like, and anything else that's kind of like this. So Hebrews is telling, the author of Hebrews is saying, when you're trying to own your faith and grow in your faith and take next steps in your faith, you've got to Cut the weight, including the sin. So that's a category. But he also says, like, there's stuff too. In fact, if you look at what he wrote, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up. So there's things that can slow us down that's not necessarily a sin that trips us up. So you have two categories. There's the sin in our life that we need to get rid of. There's also the stuff in our life that just slows us down. It just slows you down. It makes you living out your faith that much harder. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is somebody you know. Maybe it's somebody you live with. We're not going to point fingers for this next part. But when you pack for a trip, there are some people that pack for the time that they're actually going to be gone. So if you're taking a two or three day weekend trip, you pack for a couple days. And it usually fits in a suitcase about this big. There are others of you that when you pack for a two or three day trip, you need a suitcase that's the size of a body bag to get everything in there because you never know what you might need on that two or three day trip. Maybe it'll snow when you're at the beach for the weekend. Who knows? So we're going to take boots and gloves and mittens just in case because you never know what the weather's going to do nowadays. You never know. You never know what you might need. And instead of going to Walmart to buy it, no, we're going to take everything. So you end up packing so much stuff for this two or three day trip. You've literally packed practically everything in the, single, in the house. Please don't point fingers at this part. Or we're going to have to do a whole series on marriage afterwards. <laughs> but you know what that's like, right? I pack what, my, what I need or I just pack everything. And imagine once you pack everything, how difficult it is. You're lugging everything to the hotel. Or you're trying to get everything in and out of the minivan. It slows you down. Now imagine trying to carry those while you're running a race, not just a race, but a marathon. You won't make it very far. So the writer of Hebrews says, cut the weight. Anything that's going to slow you down and taking next steps and having a deeper faith. Remember, a deeper faith is when we grow more and more and more dependent on Jesus. So what needs to be cut out of your life? Maybe it's a sin that is continually continuing to trip you up, like we read out of Galatians 5. Maybe there's just some stuff, some good stuff, that's just making it a lot harder to live out the life of faith. The second part that the writer says, he says, you got to get rid of some of this weight. If you're going to run the race of, your, of owning your faith, you got to lighten your load. Next part of this, though, it says, and let us run with endurance the race God has, has set before us. Endurance. 
We're supposed to run this race with endurance. Now, just for the fact that the writer uses the word endurance, you only need endurance when things are difficult. So the author is making a, a major assumption saying, guess what? That race is going to be difficult. So I know you're going to need endurance. It's not if you need endurance. It's like, no, you are going to need endurance. So we know that this road is going to be difficult. We know it's going to be hard. We know we're going to face difficult things in life. So how are we to run through life with our faith? With endurance. In other words, not giving up, not quitting, but continuing to take a next step and a next step and a next step in our faith journey. When I was in college, a friend of mine, he did a, um, oh man, what would you call this? Like a not a class like you get credit for, but just a, hey, if anybody's interested, he was like an expert in martial arts and like had won all the things and had done it since he was a kid. So he just opened it up to anybody on campus. Hey, if you'd like to learn martial arts, we'll have some fun. And, and I was like, well, that sounds great. I'm in college. I have nothing else to do. Well, I've never learned martial arts. This will be fun. So I go, his name was Paul. And so Paul would teach us like the first two to three weeks was him just teaching us these different moves. Like, here's how you stand. Here's the different things you do. It was a long time ago, so I don't remember any of it. And so here we are like learning all this stuff. And it was super cool, super informative. And it was a lot of discipline. It was a blast for about that three week period. Then I remember walking into the room that he had reserved for all of us that were following through with, um, with his class. And he says, today is a special day. Today, I'm going to teach you how to spar with one another. I said, interesting. That sounds awesome. What do we do? He says, well, this is where you take all those moves that you've learned, and now you hit each other with them. I said, I didn't know that was this whole thing. Like, that, that didn't compute in my mind. And, and so I get called up to, which wasn't fair. I mean, again, my stature, you would try to at least be in the same class as somebody else, at least weight-wise, and that was not the case for this I would say young man, but he looked twice my age that I was going to be sparring against. And so we both had been in the class the same amount of time. We both knew about the same moves, but his punches hurt a whole lot more, a whole lot more. Everything that I threw at him, he seemed to have no problem defending. Everything he threw at me knocked me on the floor. So I quit that class that very day. I said, you know what? I was not made to be hit like that. I'm done. I'm out. It was so much fun learning the moves and how to stand and the history behind it. It was great. It was even fun watching other people fight. But then when I had to step up and when I got hit, I said, you know what? This isn't for me. <laughs> I'll go do something else. I quit because it got hard. I quit because it hurt, which I still think is the right call for me, for sure. <laughs> But so often in our faith, the moment we get hit, oh, we quit. The moment we get hurt, we say, I'm done. The moment it gets too difficult, we say, forget it, I'm out. This isn't what faith is supposed to equal. Faith is supposed to make my life easier. This is making life harder. I'm supposed to get, get like prosperity out of this. Trust me, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> so I'm done. The moment it gets difficult, we want to quit. So that's why the writer says, no, run with endurance. You know, there's a flip side to that. We, we tend to quit when things get difficult. You and else we quit when things get easy. Isn't that interesting? When things get really hard, it's easy to quit. When things get really easy with our faith, we start to say, well, I don't really need this. Things are going really, really well. I can do this on my own. We get complacent 
and we quit. We get discouraged and we quit. And the writer is very clear. Run your race of faith with endurance. How do we do that? Verse 3, we're in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, tells us what to do. Think of all the hostility he, talking about Jesus, all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You know what I love about that, that encouragement for us? Is it doesn't really tell us, well, just like get a little bit stronger, try a little bit harder, work a little bit harder, and you'll make it through. Like you don't see that. It's think about Jesus. In fact, that's the very next part. So we are to strip off every weight that slows us down. We're to run this race with endurance. Verse 2, we do this. Here's how we actually cut the weight. Here's how we actually run with endurance. Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on, say it with me, who's our eyes on? On Jesus. Yes, the champion who initiates and he perfects our faith. We have to get our eyes on Jesus. The only way this works. The only way. It's not about trying harder. It's about focusing harder on Jesus. And even that phrase that we read here, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That idea of keeping your eyes, that's not just a look at, it's a focus on. And here's the difference. Let's say I walk into an art museum. I walk in an art museum and I would look at all the paintings and all the sculptures and all the art. I bet I could get in and out of there in about 15 to 20 minutes. I look at everything, say, huh, that was fascinating. That was interesting. I'm glad I did that. And I move on with my day. That's looking at something. Now imagine I'm in the wilderness backpacking and I have no idea where I'm at, but I have a compass. I look at that compass very differently, don't I? I look at that compass and I study that compass and I look at the compass and I look at where I'm at and then I look down on the compass and I look where I'm at and then I change my direction. I look down at the compass and I start looking where I'm at and then I start walking, always focusing on the compass and, and I adjust based on the compass. Now I'm looking at both the art as well as the compass, but one has my full attention. One I actually act based on. One directs my life and directs my movement and directs my steps. That's what it means to keep your eyes on Jesus, where you are focused on him. So how do we do that? How do you keep your eyes on Jesus? Man, the day of prayer is one great example of that. To keep him in front of you every hour, on the hour, to be in his word and to pray for, it'll probably take you two to three minutes every hour to do that. Doing what you're doing right now at home or right here, you're thinking about Jesus, we're talking about Jesus, we're learning about Jesus, we're opening up God's word and hearing stories of Jesus and how to apply it to our lives. It's thinking about him. It's talking about him. It's having a conversation with him through prayer. It's reading about him. It's listening. There's probably a part of your life that you could focus a little bit more on. Again, it's not a try harder. It's a focus more. Our eyes must be set on Jesus and focused on him. So let me ask you three questions that hopefully you can begin to just wrestle with. And maybe this is even part of your prayer life this week. Here's the first one. What is slowing you down? What is slowing you down? The author is very clear. If we're going to live the life of faith, not just do faithful things, if we are going to live the life of faith. We have to let go of the things that are holding us back. We have to let go of the things that are slowing us down. 
Yes, we should always be asking what's right and wrong. That is a great question to ask. It's what we teach our kids. But the mature in faith doesn't just say, is it right or wrong? You know what the mature in faith will say? Is it slowing me down or not? That's a better question. Does this slow me down in my faith? Does this move me closer to Jesus? Does this keep me moving in the direction that he's leading me? Or does it hold me back? So cut the weight. What's slowing you down? Second question, what step do you need to take? That's how I would describe endurance, is you're taking a next step no matter how difficult it is. And when it feels like you can't take another one, guess what you do? You take another step. When life is good and you're thinking, why even bother taking steps? I'm good right here. Like, don't, if it's not broke, don't touch it. No, endurance says, no, I'm going to keep moving towards him. Sometimes that means stepping way out of comfort zones. Maybe that means taking steps out of what works and into, remember the deep end? We talk about deep faith, not being able to touch the bottom in a place where you have to depend more on Jesus. Maybe it's a step out of complacency. Maybe it's stepping through the discouragement and the disappointments. I'm going to help you with those next steps any way that I possibly can. In the seats that you're sitting in right now, you'll find two cards. We've talked a lot about these the last several weeks. The larger card kind of talks about what deep faith is and gives you some questions to ask yourself. The smaller card is a, is a card that allows you to write down, well, here's what I think my next step is. If I'm going to run this race with endurance, that means I need to keep moving towards him. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I'd love to help you figure out those next steps. I'd love to help walk with you through those next steps. Let me know what your next step is. Put your name, email, phone number. I'll follow up with you this week or somebody from our team will. We'll be praying with you. Help you any way that we possibly can. But your next steps is how you continue to run this race with endurance. Last question. What are your eyes on? Are your eyes on Jesus? Are you focused on him? Are you just glancing at Jesus? Just like, oh yeah, that was really cool. Okay, moving on. Are your eyes on anything or anyone other than Jesus? If they are, I promise you'll be disappointed. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on him. That's what the life of faith looks like. You don't always get to pick. I would say you don't get to pick the race that God has marked out for you. Don't miss that part. It's not the race I marked out for me. It's the race that God marked out and set up before us. Just like we read out of Hebrews 11, for some incredible stories of faith that we love to preach about, David and Goliath and all these cool things. Other people had their own faith, but their life was very different. So instead of focusing on the results and your expectations and hopes and dreams, can we just focus on living the life of faith that God has put before us? And yes, there will be difficulties along the way. In fact, Jesus said this, his words, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me, Jesus says. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That last part is so important. It's not take heart because you got this. It's not take heart because you can do it. It's not take heart and just hang in there. It's take heart because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Our hope is in him. Our faith is in him, not in anything or anyone else. And he's shown us what he can do by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to the cross to die for our sins, that we are not guilty of those any longer. And his resurrection three days later 
was proof that not only sin had been defeated, but also death had been defeated. And we, when we believe in him, we get the gift of eternal life, which gives us hope. And that is who our faith is in, the one who gives hope. So this morning, yes, I want you to wrestle with that race of faith that you're, you're running currently. But don't miss who your faith is in, in Jesus and in only Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for how you, for how you draw us to you. Author in Hebrews writes that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, the champion of our faith. We recognize that growing in our faith is not just about things we do, but it's about you moving in our lives and working in our lives. So we give you permission. Jesus, radically change our lives by moving into our hearts. Through your Holy Spirit, would you grow us to become the men and women of God you desire, that have a deeper faith that means we are more dependent on you. And yes, in this journey of our faith, the life of faith, it will be difficult. It doesn't always add up. And in those moments, may we cut the weight, strip off everything that trips us up, strip off everything that slows us down. May we run with endurance, meaning we'll continue to take steps even when it's hard. And our eyes will always be on you. Always on you. Help us where we need help. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Lead us always. In your name. Amen.